as usual, I asked our guest, Evan Silva, to pound the table for someone this offseason. Evan, who you pounded the table for? It's going to be Tyler Lockett. And this is a guy, I mean, for the fourth straight year, I'm well above ADP on in terms of ranking. I have him as the wide receiver 13. His ADP is in the 20s among wide receivers. You have a narrow target distribution in Seattle with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett at the top. You have you know, years and years of built up chemistry between Tyler Lockett and Russell Wilson, one of the most efficient passers of our era. Um, I, I like that. I don't know if Seattle is going to throw at the same rate that they did in the first half of last year. I think there's going to be a sort of meeting in the middle there, but they're going to play a lot faster and therefore they're going to have a lot more opportunities. They're going to have more, a lot more offensive plays under Shane Waldron, uh, who under Sean McVay, you know, they, they played a, a very fast clip. And they, and they ripped off a ton of plays. So I think that that's going to compensate for a potential loss in, in passing game volume, uh, but still locked in. I mean, Tyler Lockett is a baller. And I know that people are, are still upset that he finished last season slow. Russ was not playing uh, well down the stretch. Tyler Lockett was banged up with that shin injury. And Tyler Lockett let a lot of people down late in the season after sort of carrying them. I mean, he had three weeks last year where he almost literally won you the week. Mm -hmm. um, I think he's going to be more consistent this year and he's still going to have those blow up weeks. So he's a guy that I'm prioritizing in my drafts. Yeah, it looks like a great value to me. Straight from Evan Silva, go get you some Tyler Lockett. Now let's get to the show. Welcome everyone to the most accurate podcast. I'm your humble host, Brandon Niles. My co-host today is my favorite predictor of breakout quarterbacks, Chris Allen. Uh, how's it going, buddy? It's going great. I'm so glad to get a chance to sit down and talk with both you and Evan today about the AFC West and whatnot. Uh, we've got some news breaking over the league right now. It's the Friday news dump, obviously, with the Josh Allen stuff. Justin Jefferson's injured, so we're going to have to wait and see what happens with that. But I'm just happy to get a chance to sit down and talk ball with both of you all today. Excellent. And just to remind our listeners that uh, we've got that underdog fantasy promo still going on. Uh, sign up at underdog fantasy with promo code four for four. That's four F O R four deposit $10, get $25 to work with. That's the cost of a best ball mania two uh, entry. And you get a pro subscription for four for four. Uh, as Chris mentioned, we're excited to have Evan Silva on the show today. You can follow Evan on Twitter at Evan Silva. Check out all his fantastic stuff at establishthe You can also find him co-hosting the Establish the Run Fantasy Football Podcast. Evan, thank you so much for coming on today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Ready to talk some ball with you guys. Excellent. We're going to talk AFC West today and another division preview, uh, but I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you a running back question to kick things off since, you know, your outstanding work at Establish the Run. Uh, you've been really bullish on Aaron Jones heading into this season, so uh, I want to ask you where you have him ranked and why exactly you like him so much. Yeah, I have Aaron Jones right now as the number five overall player and the RB4 overall ahead of Alvin Kamara, Derrick Henry, Austin Eckler, um, pulling Jamal Williams out of the Packers offense, I think provides almost unlimited upside for Aaron Jones in terms of uh, his uh, receiving value over the last couple years, last two years, Jamal Williams vultured uh, 11 touches per game and was very active in the passing game. AJ Dillon has 23 receptions combined since he left high school. Um, <laughs> so I, I think that Aaron Jones, you know, such a good receiver, Excellent between the tackles runner. Aaron Rodgers is back. Offensive line looks pretty good again in Green Bay. Um, I think that you know they led the NFL in scoring last year, and I think they have a floor of being a top 10 scoring team, and I think that they have a good chance to, again, finish among the top five in scoring, locking in uh, a running back of Aaron Jones' caliber and, and his projected workload. Um, I, I think that he's a guy to be bullish on this year. And even since Aaron Rodgers announced his return, I don't think Aaron Jones ADP has risen enough. You know, uh, a month ago, you could get him in the middle of the second round in drafts. He's still going around uh, number 12, number 14, somewhere in that in that range. And again, I have him as a top five overall player. Uh, so he's someone if you're using the ETR rankings, like you're going to be getting Aaron Jones more often than not. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, excellent value there early in the second round is where um, he's still going, which is great. Uh, so you talked about uh, Jamal Williams moving on to Detroit and the the workload that he ciphered over. Um, obviously, A.J. Dillon isn't going to be the pass catcher that we're looking for for the reasons you mentioned. Um, he's still a popular late-round target for fantasy owners right now, grabbing A.J. Dillon at, at that cost. of Where do you like him to wind up as a fantasy option, or is he strictly a handcuff? No, I think he has a chance to be a little bit more than that. Um, I think that the biggest worry as, as uh, you know, the effect of A.J. Dillon on Aaron Jones would be that A.J. Dillon uh, could vulture goal line carries, which makes mm-hmm. sense because he's 247 pounds. However, Aaron Jones has been such a big part of the Packers goal line offense and deep scoring position offense. I mean, he had, what, 20 red zone targets uh, in 2019. He had 10 last year. You know, he's very, I mean, they will throw goal line fades to Aaron Jones. You know, he will run wide receiver routes in scoring position. So I don't think it's necessarily a given that A.J. Dillon is going to be in there at the goal line. I think that A.J. Dillon will be very involved when the Packers are trying to salt away games. Mm -hmm. And as a change of pace back is that big back change of pace for Aaron Jones. Um, But I I, I still think that A.J. Dillon has an outside chance to have standalone value and to be a flex option for you each week. And then if Aaron Jones, if something happens to Aaron Jones, AJ Dillon all of, a, all of a sudden could be like a, you know, in league winning position. So that's the kind of, um, you know, quote unquote, number two running back that I'm looking to draft late. And yeah, he definitely got a boost in my rankings uh, when Aaron Rodgers returned, just because they're going to be, I mean, if, if Jordan Love had been in there, it, it, it could have been a disaster. And AJ Dillon probably would have provided very little value. Um, But in this situation, I think that he does have a chance at standalone value and, um, you know, in that in could jump into that league winning position if something if Aaron Jones went down. Excellent. Excellent. It's hard to disagree with you there, especially, uh, you know, talking about Rogers coming back and the game script changes that would be in play if Jordan Love was there. Uh, Chris, I'm just curious, did y'all your best ball circles before you get into the AFC West? Are you sprinkling Aaron Jones and uh, A.J. Dillon into your best ball lineups? I've been drafting both of those guys, Aaron Jones more so than A.J. Dillon, before the Aaron Rodgers news broke because, at least for Aaron Jones, we knew that at least the opportunity and workload was going to be there for him regardless of who the quarterback was going to be. So I can understand why folks would wind up dinging him and moving him back into, let's say, that third, second, third-ish tier of running backs that would go around like the one-two turn. So you're talking about the Austin Ecklers, the Joe Mixons, the Antonio Gibsons of the world. I can see why folks would move him back there, but – we saw at least from last season, the opportunity share that he had for just from a rushing perspective. Also, he was rocking about like a 14, 15% target share. That's exactly what you would want out of an early round running back. So even if it was Jordan Love, we could see the Packers offense taking a massive step back, probably like two massive steps back in terms of offensive efficiency. But that still gives Aaron Jones at least enough of a leg up on the rest of the running backs currently going around him for him to sustain value. Now you get Aaron Rodgers back that at least elevates the the entire offense back to what at least we're hoping what they were doing back in 2020. So it's all systems go for Jones. And then that gives Dylan more standalone value because if, if Dylan isn't going to be involved in the passing game, we've heard camp reports about him being involved in the passing game, but we'll see if that actually comes to fruition during the season. Mm-hmm. But at least at the very least, it gives him standalone value on a week to week basis. And from a best ball standpoint, that's essentially what you want. Because if you want to avoid that running back dead zone, like folks like Mike Leone, Jack Miller, other folks at ETR and just around the industry have started talking about, Dylan kind of falls into that area where it's now okay to start taking running backs because the well, or at least the opportunity cost at wide receiver has essentially tapered off at that point. So Dylan had fallen at least before the Aaron Rodgers news to a point where I was okay with taking him there because by that point, you at least had one to two decent running backs or at least early round running backs, depending on what your opening build was. And then afterwards you can wind up taking Dylan as your third or fourth running back. And so now it's just like that value that he presents from a best ball perspective, I think is pretty much unmatched by some of the other guys that are currently going around him, like Gus Edwards, Latavius Murray, James Mm -hmm. Connor. Like those are good guys. I mean, good backs to take like as an, as your weekly RB two, but I think Dylan provides a bit more upside with him. Like now that Aaron Rodgers is back in the fold. Let me ask you this, Chris, would you be willing to take uh, Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon on the same team, whether it be in best ball or, uh, you know, manage, manage season long, would you be willing to take them both on the same teams? I think that there, there is some sentiment in the fantasy community that that would be um, limiting your upside 
Um, but I don't know. How do you feel about that strategy? That's actually not a bad strategy. And the reason for that, it goes into at least the the regression that at least I'm kind of accounting for when we're talking about the Green Bay Packers. I was actually just talking with Rich Rebar about this earlier this week in that. So Aaron Rodgers, his ridiculous like 9.1% like touchdown rate and the number of like passing touchdowns that he threw I just don't see how at the, what, 38, 39 years of age, he's going to continue that efficiency like two years straight. I mean, eclipsing like over 40 passing touchdowns. I mean, the dude threw eight touchdowns from the one yard line, the one mm-hmm. freaking yard line. So how do we really expect him to do that? 42% of his passes were in the red zone converted into passing touchdowns. Even if we expect the same offensive efficiency from Green Bay, to me, it almost sounds like, or at least if I'm projecting similar efficiency, the touchdowns should then, uh, some of those should be converted to rushing scores. So I can see that I could see a path for both Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon, like out, like out kicking their ADP where they're currently at. So I honestly don't hate that, that approach. It probably would be a unique approach because some folks would look at the Green Bay offense and just say, oh, it's Aaron Rodgers. Oh, they're going to be passing. I'll just take either one of the two, but really there is a chance where they could wind up at least scoring, let's say less touchdowns, but they uh, more of those touchdowns, like what actually wind up being rushing touchdowns. So I think that's actually a viable approach to be quite honest, especially in tournament settings. If you're doing, you know, the puppy best ball mania two, the big, I mean, any of that stuff, I think like drafting both of them would be unique enough and it could wind up paying off for sure. And I'll do it in a redraft league, too. I, I just think that A.J. Dillon's upside is high enough that he's one of the few handcuff running backs that is like a legitimate handcuff on top mm-hmm. of the standalone value. So if I have to flex him, I'm not upset. But yeah. uh, having that upside there, the ADP isn't high enough to where I, I think that I'm really shooting myself in the foot. Right. You're not giving up too much at all by doing that. Mm-hmm. Folks, 4 for 4 is partnered with Underdog Fantasy, and I, for one, am taking full advantage. I'll be in dozens of leagues by the time the season begins, and I love the best ball format. I can draft a team and then enjoy zero maintenance all season long. No setting lineups, no waivers, no problem. You automatically get maximum points out of your team each week. Right now, we have a screaming good deal. If you deposit $10 at Underdog Fantasy and use the promo code 4 for 4 that's 4-F-O-R-4, you get $25 from Underdog. That's the price of admission to Best Ball Media 2 with $3.5 million in total prizes. And you get a pro subscription to 4 for 4 This is one of the best promos I've seen in my 14 years with 4 for 4 So take advantage. Go sign up today. Uh, let's yeah. So we were talking Packers on an AFC West episode, which makes sense. So let's uh, <laughs> let's go ahead and shift to uh, our main segment. Let's do the AFC West fantasy breakdown. Uh, we'll talk about these uh, high-powered offenses and see what kind of fantasy targets we like. Uh, Evan, let's start with the Chiefs. Uh, I want to talk with the running game at the Chiefs. We saw excellent spurts of production from Clyde Edwards-Alaire as a rookie last season. Uh, we also saw some downside. We saw him get hurt a little bit. Uh, do you think this year he could be the bell cow that everybody wants him to be? Yeah, I'm kind of on the fence with Clyde Edwards-Alaire uh, personally. I have him right in line with his ADP. I think almost exactly at his ADP right now in terms of my own rankings and tiers. Um you know, I, I think that Darrell Williams is clearly the Chiefs' best pass protecting back, and they place a lot of value on that. Um, and then Jarek McKinnon uh, apparently has been coming on in, in training camp, and I, so I think that there's some potential there for a two- or even three-way RBBC. Um, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, you know, he had a, an up-and-down rookie season, and one of the things that stood out to me was the fact that, you know, he was such an elite passing game producer at LSU set all kinds of records, especially in his final year there uh, in terms of receiving production. And he was so infrequently used as like, you know, the li- lining up in lining up in the slot or throwing screen passes to him, you know, that, that just was, that, that was not a big part of their offense. Like Travis Kelsey, I think uh, finished with more screen passes thrown to him than Clyde Edwards Hilaire did. And, but now, you know, that was a year where, Edward Solaire battled some injuries and, you know, the, the pandemic affected year, they, they didn't have the, the normal amount of install that they usually would, the normal amount of practice time. There were no preseason games with, you know, a few preseason games now and, um, you know, a fairly normal practice schedule. Is that something that they'll, you know, w- will be a bigger part of their offense? I would sort of expect yes, but there are no guarantees. Also, Clyde Edward Solaire, you know, he was a first round pick. And he was really good in college. 
Um, but you know, he's still really small and he's, you know, he runs four, six. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, is he, you know, a, a great talent? I don't know. You don't necessarily need to be a great talent to produce in the Kansas city offense. So I think that ultimately Clyde Edwards Hilaire is really a bet on the chiefs offense, which mm-hmm. tends to be a pretty good bet, but at the same time, you know, the, the threat of the possibility of them running a two or man, two or three man RBBC uh, would be a vote against him. So that's where I am on him kind of on the fence and, um, you know, right in line with his ADP. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, it always makes me a little bit nervous with an Andy Reed running back because uh, he tends to add people late in the game. Like the last two years, we had Damian Williams and he brings in with Sean McCoy at the last second. Last year brings in Le'Veon Bell. That always scares me a little bit. Uh, but you're right. It seems like late second, early third where he's going makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Chris, are you buying him at ADP in your best ball drafts? I, I think so. And part of the reason is that where you can get him in drafts, he could, he's almost one of those like best guys to pair with any of the like, higher tier running backs that are they're currently going in the first round, because it, especially on underdog, if you go in the first round, you take any of those like top, like five, six guys, you take like Zeke, you take Alvin Kamara, you take Saquon or not Saquon, like essentially, but any of those other guys that are currently going in the top five, top six. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, like his with his ADP where it is right now, you can pair any of those first round guys like with CEH, which I think is a strong bet, or at least a strong opening for at least for, uh, for an RB RB start. So, but with CEH specifically, it looks like at least with the way that the Chiefs have now like restructured their offensive line. I mean, they get a number of guys back. They bring in guys like Orlando Brown to also like bolster that offensive line as well. And then also, at least from everything that we've heard out of Chiefs camp, the types of like zone, uh, like blocking schemes that they're using, like those gap scheme that they're trying to they're trying to uh, like install like this season, I think that benefits a guy like Ceh. Like Evan was just mentioning, I mean, the dude's five seven. So if you have at least enough mm-hmm. like good like pulling guards and tackles that will allow like Ceh, a guy like Ceh, to essentially move through, weave through, and then burst through like one of those gaps. I think that actually like it lends itself to CEH actually producing more here in his second year. And actually I saw a tweet from Nate Tice, like from the athletic uh, with a video actually out of chiefs camp where they were using one of those like GT counters where it's just, you see the guards and tackles pulling. And then of course, like CEH, like he follows the blocks, which is something that he was actually a pretty decent at back at LSU. And then you just see him like burst through the hole and he's off to the races, you know, 20, 30 yards or so after that. So there is some hope, but I think like Evan said, like it's it's a bet on the offense as a whole. Like, is this offensive line going to stick together? Can they still move the ball like down the field like we'd seen them in 2019, 2018? And if the answer or if our assumption is yes, then, of course, I think CEH gets pulled along with that into his at least high end, like or let's say mid tier like RB1 production for this season. Mm hmm. Uh, this is it's such an interesting offense, like you said, betting on the offense. Um, both of you kind of alluded to that. Uh, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, and Patrick Mahomes all are like projected as the number one at their position. Um, in you know, I know it varies a little bit site to site, but generally speaking, that's the range of outcomes. It's interesting to have three positions on the same team that could be the fantasy number one at position. Um, Evan, are you buying those three at cost uh, considering that let's hear Kelsey and Hill are both first rounders. Mahomes usually third round Um, talking redraft formats. Are you buying them? Yes. On Tyreek and Travis Kelsey Um, Mm -hmm. Tyreek, I have as the number four overall player uh, and you know, I, I have him as the wide receiver one overall, and I feel pretty good about that right now. Um, with Travis Kelsey, I have him as the number nine overall player, but that is, but if you transition to like FFPC tight end premium, I think he's the number three overall player oh. behind only uh, Christian McCaffrey and Dalvin Cook. Uh, with Patrick Mahomes, I have him more bunched closer to the the rest of the quarterbacks or the rest of the first tier quarterbacks, like. Lamar Jackson and, and Josh Allen. Josh Allen actually have as the overall quarterback one this year, but Kyler Murray, Dak Prescott, if, if he's healthy, I think belongs at the end of that first tier. But if you look at the 80, if you look at ADPs, Patrick Mahomes is about a round higher than mm-hmm. the rest of those first year quarterbacks. So I think that he is being a little bit overdrafted, but you know, it's still Patrick Mahomes and I'm not going to hate on anybody that, you know, is willing to, you know, especially if you get, 
Travis Kelsey or Tyreek Hill in the first round, come back in the third round, take Patrick Mahomes, you know, to have that stack. I think that that's very, very viable and justifiable. Um, but, you know, just looking at it with, without any context, I think that Mahomes is going a little bit early for my taste. I, I want to get back to that stacking option at some point, but first I, I just want to ask lots of buzz about McCall Hardman and some people like the rookie Cornell Powell. And I think Demarcus Robinson's still hanging around there. Uh, any of those secondary options for the chiefs hold any appeal to you, Evan? Yeah. Uh, I'm kind of buying the hype on McCall Hardman and the early reports on him from training camp have been really positive that he is asserting himself as the number two receiver in the absence of Sammy Watkins behind Tyreek Hill, ahead of Byron Pringle, who apparently is outplaying Demarcus Robinson. So oh. right now, I think if you were to stack the depth chart, it would be Tyreek Hill, number one, Nicole Hardman, number two, Byron Pringle, number three, Demarcus Robinson, number four. I think that Pringle and Robinson are both, you know, in the mix as 16th, 17th, 18th round picks. But McCole Hardman is a guy that I, I'd start looking at uh, maybe in the seventh or eighth round and being, a, being willing to be a little bit bullish on him, taking that third-year wide receiver leap. That used to be the year that everybody considered, you know, to be the, the year that wide receivers would take it. McCole Hardman came out of college. He was so young. Mm-hmm. He's still only 23 years old. You're the same age as, like, Devontae Smith of the Eagles, who went 10th overall. I don't think he has the skills of Devontae Smith, obviously. But um, the, the situation is really beneficial. He's got big-time, uh, big-play ability. I mean, the, the dude can absolutely run. You know, he was a, 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 a prolific return man in the SEC uh, when he came out. And um, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit bullish on McCole Hardman this year. Yeah, wide receiver 44 right now on underdog. So kind of definitely could be a bargain if he can get those Sammy Watkins looks and continue to get the production that he was doing. Always been kind of a PFF darling too. PFF has always kind of uh, thought that, that Hardman was really good. Uh, Chris, I, I want to get back to uh, Evan was talking about stacking uh, Tyreek Hill, stacking Travis Kelsey with uh, with Mahomes. I wanted to talk to you about that chief stack. Is that worth the price? Like, is that viable, especially if you throw in like Clyde Edwards Solaire there? If you can go Hill, CEH, and, uh, and Mahomes, or if you sub in Kelsey instead of Hill, is that a viable strategy in best ball? I really can't see it being a viable strategy. Now, if you're trying to manage, let's say, a portfolio of just either casual leagues or even if you're doing like a portfolio of of tournament leagues as well, trying to do a Mahomes Hill Uh, Mahomes, Hill, CEH, or something like that, some sort of like primary Chiefs stack, I think makes some sense to have at least maybe a a little exposure to it. But overall, I can't recommend doing it a ton because of the opportunity cost that it implies in order for you to pick that up. And of those, I'm 100% on board with what Evan had laid out in terms of investing in the pass catchers or even like CEH himself, if you're going to try and create a Chiefs stack. And then if you want to at least avoid Patrick Mahomes, like in that stack, I can understand because where Patrick Mahomes is going, you can wind up picking up any number of the elite wide receivers, maybe a back end decent value at a low end RB1, RB2, because I've seen guys like DeAndre Swift falling, Chris Carson falling. Uh, I mean, any of those guys, like Miles Sanders falling, Daryl Henderson, like now, it, that's where Patrick Mahomes, that's the company he keeps at ADP. And with quarterback scoring being so flat year over year, I think just last year, at least over the past like five seasons, actually take that back. The points per game uh, difference between the the QB6 and the QB12 has just been 2.6 points per game. It's really flat, like at the quarterback level. So it's just, I can't recommend investing in Patrick Mahomes like with that chief stack because you can just as easily arbitrage a lot of that, uh, that value that Patrick Mahomes brings by taking Josh Allen later, by taking Dak Prescott, Russell Wilson, even like possibly Justin Herbert, if you're still in on him, even though I'm not, but we'll, we'll talk about him later. But it's just, you can find other quarterback value other, like L Elsewhere. Now, if you want to start your build or start your stack with Patrick Mahomes, you can find value at his wide receivers later because, as we were just talking about, uh, Byron Pringle is now making buzz and he's available, what, 16th, 17th round. Demarcus Robinson is a role player also going later. So there are, there are paths to creating a chief stack. It just be with one of the more ancillary players like on the team. So if you're going to do that, I think that would be the way I'd go about doing it. 
Yeah, I like underdog fantasy. I like to be able to take uh, different approaches to that stacking. Um, I've sprinkled in a little bit of the Kansas City Chiefs stack. It's definitely not something that I'm doing a lot of, but I like that on the underdog app, I can check out my exposures and I can try different things. It's a nice thing about having the different strategy options. Like you mentioned, there's the puppy, uh, the puppy two that's out right now with a $5 Mm -hmm. tournament entry, which is fun. In fact, I just did a fast puppy uh, two days ago that Evan happened to be in just (laughs) so I I drafted it in a fast puppy with you i think you were picking second in the in that one evan on uh on tuesday i believe it was which was fun um it's nice to be able to do that uh evan another expensive stack that i've been kind of looking at and interested in an underdog but i i've been reluctant to pay up on so i don't have a whole lot of exposure is that dallas stack uh you know zeke costs you a first round pick cd lamb amari cooper are both late second third round picks dak will cost you you know fourth round pick often uh is is that uh, kind of in the same vein of what I just asked Chris about Kansas City being worth the stack. Is Dallas uh, worth the stack in best ball formats? And how you like an underdog? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I Dallas, especially with, um, uh, well, first of all, I think when you start out with Ezekiel Elliott, that like sets you up. I'm a big believer in not entering any draft with a specific strategy. Like you have a lot of different strategies at your disposal, but the way that you, implement one of those strategies is just going to be based on your first two picks. So if you start off with Ezekiel Elliott, then that, that positions you to implement a a, a Dallas stack. And with the falling ADPs of Dak Prescott and Amari Cooper in particular, CD lamb's hot. I mean, Mm -hmm. I I'm in a draft right now. He just went 2.09. So he's, he's, I mean, he's really rich right now, but I think that Amari Cooper is ultimately going to be all right. You know, he kind of goes through the, these foot issues every training camp. The Cowboys manage him, restrict him, limit him, and then he takes off, you know, as soon as the regular season begins. It sounds like the Cowboys – I mean, I have some trepida- trepidation about this injury with Dak Prescott, but it sounds like the Cowboys are confident that he's going to be out there week one. Jay Glazer reported that last night before the Hall of Fame game. Um you know, I, I'm, I've kind of backed off of Blake Jarwin and Dalton Schultz because it looks like they're going to be playing in a rotation. But then I, I really like Michael Gallup, um, who's just he's just a really good player. And he, I think he's going to be less consistent because of the types of routes that he runs than CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper. But he's going to have spiked weeks. And um, and so, yeah, I, I think that the Cowboys are absolutely a viable stack and they're, bec- they're becoming more viable due to the following ADPs of. Dak Prescott and Amari Cooper. Mm-hmm. Gallup definitely of a, a bargain compared to the rest of those guys. I think he's wide receiver 36 right now on underdog going at pick 72.6 is his ADP. Definitely worth sprinkling him in, especially if you're looking at some sort of a Dallas stack. Uh, Chris, let's uh, let's talk about the Chargers. Yeah, exactly. And that's the next team that we wanted to cover real quick. And so, Evan, I wanted to get your thoughts on like the Chargers team, but let's start off with at least the asset or at least the fantasy player that we're most focused on as of right now. And that's Austin Eckler. I mean, where are you at currently on Austin Eckler? Or do you still think that he should he belongs in the first round, at least on underdog? I'm currently seeing him going around, let's see, 10th overall, 11th overall at this point, like in the offseason. Do you really think that given his rushing production, his involvement, in the passing game, let's say middle middle of the road usage in the red zone, is that worth it for us to invest in such a player like at the back end of the first round? I think so. Um, I have Austin Eckler as the number eight overall player this year, uh, RB seven, and I mean I, I think that he's right in the mix. You know, as like a, a, a like a, a top of the second tier running back who could absolutely score with the first tier RBs because of his receiving ability, because he has a chance to catch, I mean, 80, 90 passes. I mean, the, the, the ceiling is, you know, he has a big ceiling in terms of how many passes he's going to catch. Joe Lombardi, their new OC comes from the saints has already made comparisons between Austin Eckler and Alvin Kamara. So yeah, I definitely on the bullish side for Austin Eckler. I think I agree with that position because at least when we saw him in minimal usage, I mean, because he wound up missing like however many games, like four or five games, like last season, he still wound up, I think, what, top 10 in terms of like points per game, like in PPR settings. And that was still on him being essentially a, what, 50% usage within the red zone because they were splitting time between, was it like 
Justin Jackson, Joshua Kelly. I think even Caitlin Balaj got mixed in there at some point as well. So even if you Tremaine think that, Pope, yeah, exactly. I remember that mm-hmm. one too. Yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. He came out of nowhere. Like they yeah. pulled him off the practice squad and all of a sudden he, he had a good game in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought too. Yeah. So it's like, even if you think that rotation in the red zone, like still exists because they're talking up Justin Jackson, Joshua Kelly, like Roundtree, also the, the, uh, the rookie that they brought in. So even if you think that rotation, like in the red zone is still going to be a thing, Austin Eckler doesn't necessarily need that in order to still be an RB one, at least for, for our purposes in the fantasy world. So I think I'm on board with that. And we haven't even talked about the additions or uh, on the offensive line that they've brought in. I mean, drafting Rashawn Slater, uh, they get, they got Balaga, Corey Lindsley. I mean, so many other like just stalwart, like offensive linemen. I think all of that value really intersects at Austin Eckler. So I think that he's a guy that most folks should be targeting uh, in their best ball or even just their redraft leagues at this point. I mean, Brandon, is that a guy that you're trying to get as much as you possibly can in your drafts at this point right now? I am. I almost have him on auto pick whenever I'm picking 10th, 11th, very or 12th. Very nice. Uh, yeah. it, it's very much that way. Um, largely the pass catching work that Evan alluded to. And then what you just mentioned, the offensive line, you didn't mention Matt Feeler. Also, one of the best guards oh, in the yeah. league comes over mm-hmm. from Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is going to miss him a lot. Uh, Rashawn Slater, if he can just be upright for 16 games, then that's going to be an improvement on the left on the left side of that line for the Chargers. So, uh, you know, an emerging offense, Joe Lombardi, uh, you know, pretty good usage there of Alvin Kamara in the past. I think he's going to come in and Eckler's going to just kind of pick up right where he left off last year with improvements and more efficiency to go with that workload. So I, I love Eckler and I'm, I'm targeting him early whenever I'm picking at the last, uh, the back end of that draft. In fact, uh, Evan, I have a lot of Eckler Aaron Jones lineups. <laughs> oh, and that's, that's, that's going to be profitable. I mean, yeah. that's, you know, you're, you're locking in 170 catches maybe. That's right. Um, we, we had uh, Brandon Thorne, uh, who I think is the best offensive line analyst on the uh, uh, in media on the uh, Establish the Run show yesterday, and you know we mentioned Bulaga and Rayshon Jenk or uh, uh, Rayshon Slater and um, Corey Lindsley and Matt Filer. He talked up Ode Abushi, who would be the number five uh, component of that mm. offensive line. He'll be their right guard, oh. and he really liked Ode Abushi. So we're talking about maybe. I mean, when was the last time the Chargers had a legitimately good offensive line? They they, right. they made uh, Philip Rivers spend almost his, his entire career playing behind a bunch of turnstiles, and now all of a sudden they have a chance to have a legitimately good offensive line, which I think can help compensate. You know, they they led the NFL in uh, in plays per game last year, and they probably aren't. They might not even come close to that, but they could. They do have a chance to be even more efficient. Uh, with a, a quality offensive line, a, a slew of really strong skill position players. Um, hopefully they can maximize it. You know, the Chargers have a long history of not maximizing their talent, but <laughs> hopefully they hopefully it can all come together this year. That's the hope. And the one the way that that's going to have to happen is through their pass catchers. Like we're hoping that Austin Eckler gets through most of that. But there has to be like some sort of, I guess, continued improvement at the receiving core. And so we'll turn at least quickly to Keenan Allen. I mean, there really shouldn't be much analysis like around Keenan Allen, right? I mean, over 130 targets, like the past, like four seasons straight, he is, he has been a wide receiver one. Anybody that still thinks about him as like that injury prone, injury prone receiver, get on out of here with all that. So Evan, I mean, how are you evaluating Keenan Allen now? Like as he is starting to at least get into that age cliff that we think about, but when it comes to Mm -hmm. like wide receivers, but we shouldn't be considered, we shouldn't be like worried about that this year. Right? No, I think his ADP is actually a little bit too low. Um, He's going, you can consistently get him in the third round. I have him as the number 20 overall player. When Justin Herbert came in and thereafter, I mean, he was seeing double-digit targets almost every single week. He's got 97 or more catches in four straight years. Just Mr. Reliable uh, at the position. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't take that reliability for granted. And uh, he, he wasn't that efficient last year. And so when you combine that with the age, the incoming age, age cliff that you mentioned, that is of a little bit of concern, but I, I still think he's playing at a, at a high enough level. And I think we'll see him be even more efficient this year and still maintain really strong volume. So um, I'm, I'm very much in on Keenan Allen. I have to agree with you there. I mean, Brandon, for you, I mean, is he one of your targets? I mean, can you see him being a wide receiver one for you? Let's say like you're in a best ball draft, right? You start off with, let's say, 
powerful combination like in Ezekiel Elliott and CEH. Are you targeting Keenan Allen as your wide receiver one? Or would he be a guy that you would just, you'd rather have, let's say, an A.J. Brown to go with him? Like you would want one of those elite guys to go to pair with him? Or do you think Keenan Allen, like by himself, is a good enough wide receiver one? So I think he's good enough as a wide receiver one, especially because I, I like that fourth round area for wide receivers. So I, I do a lot of when I'm drafting early, I do a lot of running back and then do like Darren Waller in the second and then I'll come back and I'll hit receiver pretty hard. Um, it's also a pretty good stack. You want to grab him and Mike Williams. Uh, you could do that and and have both of those pass catchers for the Chargers for a pretty reasonable cost. I'm with Evan. I think Keenan Allen's ADP is a little bit low. Uh, I've been looking at receivers in that fourth, fifth round area. Area. Like we've, we've kind of talked about the running back dead zone before, but you know, Alan Robinson is there in the third. Um, sometimes I've seen him slip into the early fourth. Um, I'll grab Robert Woods all day in the fourth round. So if I walk out and I've got running back and then Darren Waller, and then I've got Keenan Allen paired up with Robert Woods, then I feel pretty good about uh, my builds. No, I think that completely makes sense uh, now, but let's go ahead and get into like the guy that we're most relying on or to make that entire offense go. And that's Justin Herbert. So now after the whole Tarot Taylor lung puncture thing that happened, you know, and we, in Justin Herbert gets thrust into the limelight, Evan, did we really, I mean, I didn't expect to see this out of Justin Herbert looking at him as a prospect and seeing what he did in the NFL, like in his first season, there was just, to me, it was almost a, 180 uh, 180 uh split or at least a 180 shift from where like where he was at in college so now do you think now with joe lombardi coming over from the saints who's traditionally run a slower offense more i guess more intermediate targets i think i've, I've heard folks like Dwayne mcfarland talking about at least a sophomore slump or at least maybe a like a slower start to his second year because he does bring over a more complex system running the air coriel system is it possible for us to see that out of Justin Herbert here in his second year, or are you just completely on board with him now in a sophomore season? Yeah, I think it's a fair concern. Um, but, you know, the, the odds were, I mean, the Chargers didn't even want to play him last year. Right. And then he comes in just cold, you know, because, you, you know, again, no preseason games, very little practice time. He comes in cold and he just balls out, you know, and he's like, he's got like pimples. I mean, the dude is like, you know, the dude is like draped in acne and he's out here ripping up the NFL. Um, so I, I know that draft Twitter was down on him, but you know, quarterback evaluation is, is really difficult. And I think that, you know, a quarterback that is able to come in and have the po the pocket poise that, that he showed, he's, he's a really good athlete too. Um, I, I think that he's ultimately uh, a guy to bet on and not bet against. So that's kind of where I stand with Justin Herbert. I have him as, I think, quarterback seven, um, right behind Russell Wilson, ahead of Aaron Rodgers. Uh, so I and I, I've heard, you know, some opinions among very sharp fantasy analysts that, you know, say that they that they're skeptical of Justin Herbert and they, they have good reasoning. But ultimately, I mean, what we saw with our eyes, what we saw, you know, just look at the stat sheet. I mean, I think the dude can absolutely play. Uh, you know, especially considering all the adverse circumstances that he faced. Um, and he didn't show very much of a rapport with Mike Williams uh, last year, but he was willing to, to throw those downfield targets to, uh, to Mike Williams. They just didn't have the chemistry. I think that with a, a full offseason and full training camp, you know, maybe we could start to see some of those, those shot plays hit this season. Austin Eckler for a full season – I think that, you know, Austin Eckler is a guy that elevates the efficiency of his offense. Um, and then again, the offensive line additions, it's I, I have a very tough time betting against Justin Herbert. I think that makes complete sense. And I think that's how I'm looking at it as well, because it's easier for me to look at that offense as an offense that can continue to stay efficient like year over year versus one that's going to wind up taking a step back. Like, sure, the first few games trying to feel out like what that new scheme is going to look like, almost similar to how 
Baker Mayfield look when he was trying to take on this new Stefanski offense last year. I can 100% see that happen. But look at that division that he's going to be playing against. I mean, dude's playing against Patrick Mahomes like twice a season. I mean, I don't care what you think about like the Broncos like for this year, but on paper, their offense looks decent, but they have at least some question marks like whomever is going to be under center for them. So at least for most of that AFC West division, they're going to have to play fast. They're going to have to put up points like each game. And I think all that has to intersect at Herbert, at least being able to take another step forward, like in his second year. So while I think that it's possible for him to maybe, let's say if you've got him at QB seven, could he finish the season as QB eight, like QB nine? Absolutely. But he also has at least within his range of outcomes to at least start like, like taking a couple of steps forward and finishing like in that same tier as Lamar Jackson's of the world, just given the weapons that are currently surrounding him, that offensive line that we just talked about. I think it's all kind of there, like for Justin Herbert, at least in order to improve on his situation versus taking just a massive step back. Uh, Brandon, for you, I mean, where are you at with Justin Herbert right now? Is he one of the guys that you're currently trying to fit into one of your in any of your best ball builds or anything like that? I am actually really every format I'm targeting Justin Herbert, um, primarily because he's in that tier three of ADP. And so if if I'm wanting to target a quarterback and not just bargain shop, which sometimes I do that, sometimes I'll just bargain shop at quarterback. Um, I'd much rather take Herbert in the seventh round than go after the Ryan Tannehill's of the world. Not that I don't like Ryan Tannehill, but I think Herbert's outcome uh, range of outcomes is much higher than Ryan Tannehill. I think he could end up as a QB3, QB2, QB4 uh, at the end of the season based on um, the fact that he does run the ball well, the fact that we saw what he did last year. And then that Chargers defense is always hurt. And so I'm not going to believe it's going to be good until they put together like a string together like a string of good, healthy games. So uh, I am targeting that. You mentioned the AFC West uh, as a whole uh, being offensively inclined and that he's going to have to score. I agree with that. I think Denver's going to be better than we think. Um, Oakland can put up, or I'm sorry, Las Vegas can put up points. I'm still doing that. I'm going to do that for like two more years. I did the same. Um, <laughs> uh, let's let's shift to Denver real quick. Uh, Evan, the, the first question I have, um, I, Chris mentioned we don't know what's going on under center. Um, neither of the options really are, are super exciting. Do we really care who plays quarterback there, Drew Locke or Teddy Bridgewater? Do you have like a preference based on the other targets there? I think so a little bit um, as it pertains to the uh, the pass catchers, because I think that Drew Locke is a, a little bit more willing to take chances in tight windows and throw the ball uh, into 50-50 situations, which would benefit Cortland Sutton. And then uh, Teddy Bridgewater, I think, needs to see it come open uh, before he throws it more a little bit more and is a little bit uh less uh, or a little bit more risk averse and that and therefore his presence under center would benefit jerry judy um so i think that we, we do we care a little bit not a lot but as it pertains to those two wide receivers specifically uh, i think it matters a little bit Interestingly enough, uh, ADP just one round separates Sutton and Judy. Sutton's going just a round earlier than uh, than Judy is. So will you be watching that quarterback uh, competition heavily to see where you want to draft those two or are those two just yeah. off the table considering they're they're not super cheap? Well, I think they're both going to make uh, starts this year. I think that Bridgewater and Locke will both make starts this year. I think that Bridgewater will make more starts because, mm -hmm. number one, he has the history with Pat Shermer. Uh, the the uh, from Minnesota. They spent two years together in Minnesota. He knows the offense, and he makes a little bit more sense. And I don't I don't think that Vic Fangio has ever liked Drew Locke. You know the, <laughs> the the dancing and you know the the turnover proneness. And I mean, he led the NFL in interceptions. He he only started thirteen games last year. Still led the NFL in interceptions. Uh, he fumbled like eight times. Um, I, I think that. And if you go back to like the comments that Vic Fangio made about Drew Locke during his rookie year, I just, I don't think he likes Drew Locke very much. <laughs> and I, I think that they're going to end up like, I think that Bridgewater will end up making like 10 starts and maybe Drew Locke like seven or maybe a little bit more for, for Bridgewater. Um, but I think that also Bridgewater just fits like as a, a game manager fits what they what they're what they're gonna do this year they're gonna be i think they're gonna be really good on defense they, they've got like three starting caliber cornerbacks yeah right now um von miller is back you know bradley chubb is healthy they're gonna be mike purcell who's a big stud nose tackle for them he's uh healthy 
Their offensive line is is it took a huge step last year under Mike Munchak. Garrett Bowles all of a sudden became a good left tackle. He was terrible his first couple years. Um, you know they've got three capable running backs in uh, in Mike Boone and um, uh, Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams. You know so I think that they're going to go with the quarterback that isn't going to give the ball to the other team as much. And, you know, isn't, I mean, Drew Locke, like so much of his positive production last year came just in straight garbage time. Um, so I think that they're going to go with Bridgewater for the majority of the season. Do you think if, uh, if Bridgewater is the guy, do you think that helps or hurts Noah fan? I don't know. I don't know. I would just say, I, I think it's, it's kind of a, probably a wash with Noah fan. Sure, sure. Um, Chris, what do you want with Noah Fant? Because last year he was top six among tight ends in in, uh, in targets and yards. He only scored three touchdowns. You need more touchdowns. You need touchdowns from your, you know, uh, fringe tight end one, tight end two. Mm-hmm. You know, you. I mean, that that's what will elevate you from being, you know, like to into the mid-range among tight ends. And we know that the talent is there with Noah Fant. Another guy who's really, really young. I think he's still 23. Um, but he, he just needs to score more touchdowns. I think that that's the problem, though, with Noah Fant, is that I don't think the Broncos are going to score that many touchdowns. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, just as, as a team. And so that's going to adversely work against uh, uh, Noah Fant. Yeah, Chris, uh, are, are you targeting any of those Denver pass catchers that cost right now those receivers? I actually looked underdog ADP. Jerry Judy has actually leapfrogged. Uh, Cortland Sutton by seven picks. So, but they're both sixth rounders. That's that's kind of where they're going right now. Uh, are they guys that you're targeting at all uh, as you're doing your best ball leagues? I think Jerry Judy has been more the guy that I've targeted the most, like in the best ball formats, and that's mostly because of the whole like the studies that have been done, like on second year breakouts. That's why I'm on guys like T Higgins and like it, it, like those types of guys, Brandon Ayuk, like guys like that. Sure. But I think for Jerry Judy specifically, the types of routes that he runs and the, the fact that he can like uh, he can gain separation on those routes, I think that lends itself more to either of the two quarterbacks. So regardless of if it's going to be Teddy or if it's Drew, I think he can be the one to actually like take advantage of that, where, as Evan pointed out, the way that Cortland Sutton is used, like you really do need a guy like Drew Locke, like under center, in order to actually put the ball up for a guy like Sutton in order to win on those contested catches. So it's harder for me to buy into Cortland Sutton. I'm not as concerned. And like on top of that, and I think part of the reason why there's been that flip in Judy and Sutton is because of the report that came out about him not fully trusting that surgically repaired knee but I did actually see like a similar report like later on that week saying that they've already started seeing flashes of him being back mm-hmm. to his, his old self. So I think there's still at least there's there's talent there. Like we still think that Cortland Sutton can do it. It just really goes back to who's the guy that's going to be passing him the ball. And I think that's where with that uncertainty, why I might be at least have a little bit more trepidation, like taking Sutton over Judy at this point. Yeah, I okay. should mention um, and I almost tweeted this, but uh, I was listening to. Uh, the audible uh, from football guys uh, and Cecil Lamy, you know, essentially covers the Broncos and he's out at practice, I think most days. And he was talking about Cortland Sutton and, you know, despite that positive report, which I, I saw as well, Chris, uh, he was Cecil Lamy was saying that it's, it's pretty inconsistent with Cortland Sutton. He doesn't look all the way back. He doesn't look like a guy who's, you know, functioning at, at full speed, Right now, now that and then I think uh, Cecil kicked it to Gene Bramble, who is, you know, the um, the, the medical guy there. He's, a, you know, he's a doctor. I, I think he's not like a, a, an athletic doctor, but he still has, you know, pretty sharp takes on mm-hmm. um, guys in, in their recoveries from injuries. And um, Gene mentioned that it, it could, you know, he, the, the flip could switch, uh, you know, but, you know, I mean, we still got 37 days until week one. Right. But, um, you know, it, this was not just a, a straight ACL tear. It was an ACL and an MCL. And so it, it might take some time. And again, you know, I think that if Bridgewater is in there, it's not going to bode as well for Cortland Sutton. If Drew Locke, who's kind of a chucker, you know, uh, I, I think that it would be better for him. And if you look back at 2019, which was Cortland Sutton's breakout season, and when Drew Locke was in there, he made five starts. Uh, he targeted Cortland Sutton way more than anybody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cortland Sutton had more catches than anybody else uh, mm-hmm. on passes from Locke. 
uh, first down conversions. Cortland Sutton was way out in front. So um, I think that that's, you know, if you're, if you're going to be drafting Cortland Sutton, you want Drew Locke to be in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's shift to the running back real quick. We mentioned it a little bit. You said they've got three good running backs. They drafted Javante Williams in the second round. So obviously they think highly of him. Uh, Melvin Gordon, they gave a bunch of money to a year ago. They're at least tied to him another year con- uh, by contract wise. Uh, Melvin Gordon, RB 36 right now by ADP. Javante Williams all the way up RB 25. Um, how should we be a- approaching the running backs in Denver, Evan? Um, I'm kind of fading them all actually. Um, I I think that there's a chance for a three-way running back committee. They still have Royce Freeman there as well, although they are actively shopping him, but I I think that they're going to use all three running backs, Melvin Gordon, Javante Williams, and Mike Boone. And I don't, again, I don't think they're going to score a lot of touchdowns as an offense. So Mm -hmm. I I think it's going to be, I, I don't really want any of them. Chris, are you targeting either of them? Is there any reason to be optimistic about any of the running backs in Denver? No, and I think it's exactly for the reasons that Evan laid out. I mean, the Broncos last season, they were back into the league, or at least like bottom 10 in terms of EPA per play, like from a rushing standpoint. Even with the additions to like along the offensive line and like how we think that it's going to be improved this year, again, what is their path to to getting touchdowns this year? I mean, Mm -hmm. Drew Locke, we know, can be erratic like all over the field. So we don't know, like we can't really put any sort of certainty if he's under center. And with Teddy Bridgewater, for as good as he's been in between the 20s, his biggest bugaboo has been red zone efficiency. Mm -hmm. Like whether he was in uh, New Orleans, we saw uh, the red zone efficiency for the Saints like drop off when he came in in order to uh, when he subbed in for Drew Brees when he was in Carolina. That, I mean, the Panthers, they were top 10 in terms of off- uh, offensive yards per drive, but they were like below average in terms of like points per drive. So it's just he can get the yards, he can get them there. But in terms of converting the, those yards into scores, he's never been able to actually like put it all together and actually create like a scoring offense. So if we're already talking about a team that is likely going to be at least towards the back end or the very least below uh, below average in terms of scoring potential, it's hard for me to buy into any of those guys. Like, I mean, I still have at least a soft spot, like for, for Mike Boone, like coming over, but so I might throw a dart at him, like, you know, super late in leagues, but even with like Melvin Gordon's uh, like uh, for the most part suppressed ADP, I'd mm-hmm. rather take some of the other guys that are currently going around. Like, give me, uh, let's see. I mean, AJ Dillon was like going around him until like the Aaron Rodgers like news hit. So that's pretty much out. But Latavius Murray, heck, even possibly like Devin Singletary, who's going even later than him because yeah. of his like passing role. I mean, so it's just there are other guys that I can at least I can talk myself into being a little bit more valuable, uh, like than uh, than Melvin Gordon or Javante Williams, to be quite honest. I'll say this, uh, Jack Miller, um, who you mentioned earlier, Chris, uh, did some uh, good work on uh, rookies uh, emerging as seasons progress. And Mm -hmm. rookies are the guys to bet on late in seasons. I think you're going to have to be patient with Javante Williams. But I do think that there is some there there will be some uh, room for him to potentially emerge as the season moves forward. Late in the year, he's going to have those fresh legs. He's a guy who can play on all three downs. Pat Shermer the other day was talking up, up his uh, blitz protection, which I think mm-hmm. is always a positive thing. Yeah. It's something that, you know, it doesn't matter for fantasy, theoretically, but it's something that coaches, like, care about. Yes. Yeah, add and, snaps. Yeah, add snaps. And, and, and coaches, you know, coaches determine the playing time. Mm-hmm. So I think that as the season moves forward, you know, Javante Williams in the back half could be a major factor. I'm skeptical that he's going to be that in the first half of the season. I think I, I agree with that approach. And I think it's it's just difficult for, depending on your build, right? Because if you're in a best ball league and where Javante Williams currently goes in ADP, it's like you almost have to plan for taking him at some point. Because if you start with, if you do like an RBRB start, Williams comes in that like dead zone area where I'd much rather try and take a swing at another wide receiver. Let's see if any of the quarterbacks happen to fall. I mean, you could probably get Dak Prescott, like somewhere around there, Russ Wilson, Justin Herbert, some of those guys. So you almost have to plan for investing in a guy like Javante Williams, but similar to what we think about Travis Etienne, it could be that later on in the season, he winds up taking over and then he's off to the races after that. And we really see like all of the talent that we saw in college start to come to fruition, especially behind the offensive line and so on and so forth. So I- I'm definitely with that. 
so one more team before we get you on out of here tonight that it's for at least for my purposes or at least for the way i'm thinking about it the raiders are more or less that if not the laughing stock of the afc west i mean could potentially be the laughing stock of the entire league i mean just short of the giants as of right now i mean from mike mayock down to like john gruden i mean i just don't even know what to think about this squad but let's start off with Derek carr at specifically i mean for fantasy purposes we're typically not targeting Derek carr as our fantasy quarterback i mean he might work in two qb builds if you draft early you take like a patrick mahomes or whatever or even a three quarterback build like so on and so forth but i mean for Derek carr is he a guy that you're targeting or is he a guy that possibly drafters should be targeting depending on like how their build looks. I, I don't think he's a guy that anybody ever really targets, maybe Raiders fans. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. He's been in the league for seven years. He's finished as a top 12 fantasy quarterback once. Uh, and that was quarterback 10. So he's not moving the needle. He is. Um, but I, I think he's like a, probably an underrated pick in, um, in, in two quarterback leagues. Um, you know, as, as being your second quarterback, I mean, I think he's got pretty solid job security, Marcus Mariota, I guess, sort of looms, but I don't think that he's going to, I mean, even if the Raiders lose a bunch of games, I think they'll stick, stick with Derek Carr in all likelihood, but he just gives you, I get, he gives you a, a decent floor. Um, but he doesn't give, I mean, he doesn't rush for a lot of yards. You know, he's not an aggressive downfield passer. He can throw the deep ball but he just doesn't really do it, you know, sort of like Alex Smith used to be, you know, um, I mean, he's, he's sort of like Alex Smith. He's a little bit better than Alex Smith, I think, but mm-hmm. he, he's not a whole lot better. I think he's sort of in that range of quarterbacks and then losing Nelson Aguilar, I think hurts. Um, he was a playmaker for them last year uh, as much as, you know, the Nelson Aguilar's career has been rough, but he had a really nice year last season and then their offensive line you know Derek Carr is one of the most pressure sensitive quarterbacks in football and their offensive line is a makeshift unit right now after losing you know a bunch of Rodney Hudson Trent Brown Gabe Jackson you know um so I think that that he's just you know he's a floor play with almost zero upside I think that's the way to look at it because even unless you're talking about I can see him as being like a possible uh, quarterback streamer for folks that are in redraft leagues because we have seen them pop up for QB one games. I mean, the typically it's only been when they've had to throw in order to keep up with their opponents. I remember what in both games, if I'm not mistaken, when they played against Kansas city, yep. he wound up finishing as a top 12 quarterback. So he does have that in his range of outcomes but from a season long perspective. It's hard for me to get behind anything. I mean, any of the Raiders pretty much at this point at cost, but shifting over to, the running backs you got josh jacobs i mean gruden has yet to implement or at least maximize his talent fully i mean he's just been essentially pigeonholed as a like nick chubb like type of guy where he's just not involved in the passing game at all even though if i'm remembering correctly josh jacobs was actually learning uh, how to at least incorporate uh, running routes into his repertoire with Julio Jones before the before he was drafted. So like the guy can play all parts or like all parts of the running back position, but he's not being used that way. And so now they signed Kenyon Drake to this ridiculous contract during the off season. What are we supposed to do with this information, Evan? I mean, are you completely avoiding Jacobs and taking Drake, avoiding both of them? How should how should drafters respond to this? Yeah, just the writing is on the wall here. First of all, I think it's important sometimes with these guys if we're, we're when we're trying to assess whether or not they are true bell cows or fake bell cows, uh, as Matt Kelly would put them. Um, you know, Josh Jacobs is like a fake bell cow. I mean, you can go and you know, zooming out, you can go back to his Alabama career. Like he played behind Damian Harris. He was never a workhorse at Alabama. Now it's hard to be a workhorse at Alabama because they got like you know four NFL caliber running backs every year on their on their you know. I don't even know how many players college teams roster these days, but it's, it seems like it's an endless amount. Right. But, um, you know, when they've tried to make him into a bell cow, like he's gotten banged up, you know, he's had a shoulder injury. He's had, you know, lower body injuries. He's, you know, there, he's a guy that they want to pull out uh, in passing situations, almost to like give him a breather. And last year it was, you know, Jalen Richard and, and Theo Riddick and Devontae Booker, Mm-hmm. Uh, getting, you know, a bunch of work in those situations at his expense. And now this year they made a bigger investment than any of those guys in Kenyon Drake, 
um, who's like one of the 15 highest paid running backs in the NFL now. And I think his contract is like almost fully guaranteed. Um, so they're, they're going to use Kenyon Drake, um, you know, certainly as a pass catcher and probably as a change of pace back. Mm-hmm. And I think that they've come to terms with the fact that Josh Jacobs is sort of a fake bell cow. And I don't think they're going to be very good. And he's going to need positive game script to really get going. So I think it's going to be kind of similar to last year when they're playing bad teams, which they're not better than very many you know teams around the NFL. You know, they're not going to be favored in, in very many games. But in, in those games, I think Josh Jacobs is going to be a good play. But when they're, you know, seven point dogs, you know, it's it's going to be rough for him. And, and Kenyon Drake is going to be playing a lot. And, and again, the, the offensive line issues. So um, I don't know. I, I think where Jacobs goes right now, I mean, people are down on Jacobs mm-hmm. enough to the point that, you know, I might come close to cons- to considering him in certain scenarios. But for the most part, I, I think he's he's probably a pass. Yeah, I think that's for the most part, I've been avoiding Jacobs because what was it like week one last season against Carolina? Jacobs smashed. But then after that, it was just, I mean, painful to watch the passing game like had its ups and downs, even though we barely saw any usage out of Henry Ruggs or at least the way that we expected him to be used. So at least that whole Raiders offense is just like too like it's too difficult for me to try and envision a scenario where any of them wind up paying off. But if you had to pick between those guys that we currently have to work with. So we've got Henry Ruggs, who I've heard Gruden talking about using at least a more diversified like route tree for him in his second season. I don't know if I buy that because again, it's Gruden, whatever. But so we got Ruggs, Brian Edwards is back healthy. They bring in Smoke Brown on, on top of that as well. I mean, other than Darren Waller, I mean, are any of those like wide receivers like worth it to you, like from a best ball perspective that are like, are these guys that you're targeting at their ADP? Because they go late enough that opportunity cost isn't really a thing. Right. But again, because they're attached to Derek Carr, should that, I mean, do, I mean, should that matter to us? I just think it's going to be the Darren Waller show again. He's such a perfect fit for mm-hmm. the way that Derek Carr likes to play. You know, he, lo- he likes to throw the ball shallow in the middle of the field. Darren Waller has a low A dot. You know, he catches everything. Um, I think it's going to be the Darren Waller show yet again. Uh, but Henry Ruggs goes late enough that I- I'll definitely pull the trigger on him as like my wide receiver six. You know, mm-hmm. um, Edwards apparently has been making some strides this year. Uh, in training camp. I don't know if I'm totally buying it, but, um, you know, I don't know if he's going to be able to separate against NFL cornerbacks consistently. And I think that Derek Carr is another quarterback that wants to see it come open, you know, before he pulls the trigger and rugs can rugs can absolutely separate. Darren Waller can separate uh, early in the route. You know, is Edwards going to be a guy that can separate? I think we might see a couple good games from Edwards this year, but for the most part, I think he's like a you know, 50 catches, 560 yards, four touchdowns sort of, sort of projection. Yeah. And the thing that still just completely baffles me is just the way that they've used rugs, like to start off the season. I remember uh, Hayden Winks, like talked about, I think like during the off season and that like the number of screens that rugs was involved in when he was still in Alabama. I mean, that's where he really saw that talent being maximized that yards after catch that speed, that athleticism. I mean, that's where we really saw like rugs come to life on the field, but when he gets to the Raiders, nah, we're not going to do that for some odd reason. We're just going to continue to send you on these deep routes and like clear out routes. And that's where like Nelson Aguilar and like guys like Darren Waller were able to feast. So, I mean, so Brandon like kicking it over to you, do you care about any of these guys, especially where they're going late at in drafts? I mean, are you in on rugs Edwards? I mean, John Brown, I mean, any of those guys move the needle to you well, for you, or are you looking at other late round darts that are currently going again, like 14th, 15th, 16th round and so on? I actually love John Brown. I, I think that uh, he's going to get a lot of the targets that Nelson Aguilar got last year. I think he's better than Nelson Aguilar, um, more consistent, more consistent hands. You worry about his health, obviously. He's had a hard time staying on the field the last couple of years. But at his cost, you know, he's at 13th, 14th round. You can get him in underdog right now. Um, I like him in redraft. I like him in best ball. Uh, you, you know, I'm going to draft him in a situation where I don't need him. So, uh, you know, he'll be someone if somebody gets hurt or if I need a bye week, he's someone I feel like can go out there and get seven, eight targets. Uh, pretty regularly. And, and I, I kind of love Kenyon Drake just to go back to, to that, just a uh, same reason he's cheap. He doesn't really cost anything. And I think he has flex play 
ability. And uh, so I, I've added him a lot to zero running back uh, builds. If I'm going wide receiver heavy early, then, uh, you know, I'll take a couple of those Jamal Williams and Kenyon Drake and Naheem Hines type players, guys that I know I can put in my lineup if I need to. And then Drake kind of adds that uh, benefit. We've talked, Evan talked about how Jacobs has been beat up when he's gotten a heavy workload. Drake might take over that workload if Jacobs gets uh, gets beat up again. Devontae Booker's gone. Jalen Richard doesn't seem like the guy who can do that. So Drake showed he can get 20 plus carries a game in Arizona. So I, I like the upside there. So I'm, I'm kind of buying those late race. I'm with you. I'm not buying Jacobs. Um, and of course, Waller's a stud. I got nothing, nothing bad to say about Waller. I hope that you're right about smoke, uh, about yeah. John Brown, because I, I love him so much too. And mm-hmm. I think he's still got, when he's healthy, I think he's still got plenty left in the tank and, you know, he'd be a good guy to run the the clear out routes. Um, right. And then you, and then you throw the screens and stuff and then the crossers and the inbreakers to Henry Ruggs. And then, you, you know, you got Waller, eating up targets and Edwards as the big possession receiver, you know, that seems to me to be the, to, to be the optimal configuration for the Raiders receiver core. But so far in camp, it sounds like they're doing Renfro uh, at, at the slot and Brown is the, and Smokey is the, uh, the number four. Mm -hmm. Um, But hopefully they come to their senses. You you know, they won't though. This this is the Raiders (laughs) Seven, seven more years and 70 more million. Yeah, or, uh, the the once great John Gruden. Yeah, <laughs> Dayton's finest John Gruden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. All right, with, with that, we won't take up any more of your time, Evan. We really appreciate you coming on. Everyone, be sure to follow Evan on Twitter at Evan Silva. Go listen to the Establish the Run Fantasy Football Podcast. Check out all his stuff at EstablishTheRun.com. Evan, thank you so much for joining us today. Any last thoughts or plugs before we go? No, it was just uh, good to talk ball with you guys, and um, you know, hopefully, we get a lot of shit right this year. always the hope always the hope uh chris always a pleasure man any final thoughts before we go no no it's actually i mean absolute pleasure getting a chance to talk with evan again and also you brandon so again uh go check out all the work that the folks over at etr are doing like whether if you're into the solar spreadsheets go ahead and check out like leone's stuff and and also like jack miller's stuff i mean but if you want to talk like real ball get your hands in the dirt i mean listen to levitan and evan on a weekly basis or on a daily basis like if you can so i appreciate you for stopping by evan for sure Excellent. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, listeners. You can follow us on Twitter at Two Guys Brandon and at Chris Allen FFWX. Thanks for listening. Have a good day.